It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the Julia Hartley Brewer Coronavirus Update. If you're in lockdown, just like me, don't worry. I've put together some of the best bits from my talk radio breakfast show into this daily podcast so you won't miss any of the day's biggest coronavirus updates. Enjoy. And stay safe. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker, Talk Radio. And let's start with my very first guest of this hour, the Environment Secretary, George Eustace, who joins us now. Good morning to you. Good morning. Good morning. Let's talk straight away about testing. This is a big announcement from your colleague, Matt Hancock, the Health Secretary, at the Number 10 press conference yesterday. 25 million people across England are now eligible uh, to get testing. This is the antigen testing. Have you got the coronavirus right now? It includes the 400,000 people currently in care homes, people, I say, who are, who are over 65, those who have to leave home to work. A lot of people are going to welcome this. Um, but um, is this something that you should have done an awful lot sooner? Well, look, we've been increasing the capacity to do these tests um, uh, every single day. Last weekend, there were 31 uh, drive-in centres. Um, today, there are 41. Uh, there are dozens more um, coming down the track. So <clears throat> we're going to have that capacity to do 100,000 tests. And obviously, what Matt Hancock has announced is that we are broadening that out now so that it's open to anyone over the age of 65 and to any key worker, including those working, for instance, in the food sector. And I think that uh, these tests will be particularly important to some of those care home settings so that anyone who works in a care home uh, can have a test, not just if they think they've got symptoms, but uh, more generally as well. And that's going to be quite important. Um, now, here on my, my talk radio show, and I think across the, the talk radio broadcasting, we, we're not into the, the gotcha journalism that a lot of media are into and, and at the moment you're getting a lot of criticism for it. We want to inform uh, and, and, and help our, our, our listeners through this pandemic and through lockdown. And so um, when we offer criticism, it's always meant to be constructive. What can we do better? How can we save more lives? But there is a concern, and there's a concern even from some of your own backbencher MPs as well, that, that this 100,000 figure was pretty much plucked from thin air uh, by Matt Hancock, the health secretary. And all of these resources have gone into this um, after criticism that, that there wasn't enough testing uh, to hit this target and, and, and the changes that have been made to make more people eligible to hit this target, all to really sort of please an, an angry media looking for a gotcha moment. Can you allay our fears that, that, that this would have happened anyway and it does matter anyway and what the purpose of this is on this date with this number of tests, that this is all about actually tackling, you know, keeping people alive rather than avoiding an embarrassing headline in the newspapers? Well, I'm, I'm very um, pleased to, to hear what you say, Julie, because I, uh, as you know, I was uh, in a former life a, a press secretary and I think... Um, 
you know, sometimes the media get too obsessed by certain things that can it can be counterproductive and drive the wrong priorities. I don't think that has happened in this case. I think if you go back uh, a few weeks, yes, there was a lot of uh, hype and a lot of criticism around testing. Um, but also it is the case, and I experienced this as well, that uh, businesses in the food sector were worried about staff absence levels. Um, some of our critical uh, public services, including the uh, police, including fire brigade and local authorities also had anxieties about staff absence levels from people who were having to potentially self-isolate with their household for up to two weeks if they had symptoms that might then turn out to be a cold. So I think it it, uh, it, it is seen as a very powerful way to uh, help ensure that we can keep those key workers uh, at work. And secondly, it performs a very important function for two specific groups in particular, and that is uh, those who are working in care homes and those who are working in the NHS who are in very direct, obviously regular contact in the case of care homes with vulnerable people uh, and in the case of the NHS with people who are um, expect, you know, showing symptoms of the virus. So I think uh, this, these are um, important, useful to have, uh, both to help some of those critical workers uh, get back to work to address the concerns around absence, but also to um, have a particular need in some of these settings such as care homes in the NHS. Well, yes, you bring us on to care homes, obviously a very crucial issue. There have been some accusations that care homes have very much been forgotten in this. Again, your colleague Matt Hancock yesterday said that care homes have always been able to get testing for their, uh, any uh, residents or staff if they were concerned about them having coronavirus. That, that's simply not true. Care homes have been saying repeatedly they've not been able to get the test. I know my own elderly aunt's care home, they had an outbreak. They thought uh, 11 people, they couldn't get people tested for weeks on end. A very big risk. Is it... Is it a fair criticism that with all the focus on the NHS and an extraordinary effort to bring the NHS up to speed and the Nightingale hospitals being built, all these extra staff coming on speed, all the ventilators, that we have managed to exceed the the need and, and no doubt would have saved many lives that way, that in that effort, care homes did get forgotten and put by the wayside? I don't think it's fair to say that they were um, forgotten because we've known from the very uh, beginning of this that care home settings, just because of the residents they have, uh, the age of those residents, the fact that often they'll have other conditions, do make them especially vulnerable and susceptible to coronavirus. That's been recognised from the start. My understanding is that where there have been outbreaks, then they have been able to get uh, tests uh, if they have those uh, outbreaks. But uh, um, I think what I would say on this um, is on every front, whether it's getting PPE to hospitals and settings uh, or indeed whether it's rolling out testing, uh, the logistical challenge that there's been to sort of massively ramp up uh, capacity in all of these areas, uh, including in our NHS and getting ventilators and all sorts of things. That's obviously been a, a huge uh, mission, a huge uh, project to undertake. And so can people always find instances where things have not quite worked as a, the way that we would have hoped, where perhaps there were uh, gaps in PPE for a short period of time because it took a while to get there or people couldn't get the tests that um, we said would be available. I'm sure there will be individual cases of that, but I think you have to see that in the context of uh, the huge task that uh, everybody's been working on here, not just you know government and ministers, yeah. but most important of all, our NHS who've been working so hard to try to make this work. Yeah, indeed. Well, let's let's also talk about you know, how we're going to get out of this lockdown. We spoke a few moments ago to the businessman Luke Johnson. Uh, he's to, called this Project Fear Mark II, people being deprived of their liberty. He says uh, the effect on business and society of the lockdown. He said a frightened society is a failing society and enough is enough. Um, 
do you agree that that the, there is a level of fear of of any risk that may mean easing the lockdown as a result of this? You know, stay home, save lives. If you leave your house, you're at risk of you know not just risking a virus yourself, but other people dying. That actually the, that has been so successful that message at getting people to stay at home. It's going to be very difficult for the government to extricate itself from it to encourage us to get back to work when it is safe to do so. Well, I, I think what I would say is that you know these very very tough decisions that had to be taken to uh, let's face it close down entire parts of our economy to to force pubs and restaurants to close to uh, effectively force hotels and uh, to close and the, the dramatic knock on impacts that's had for everyone from wholesalers to airlines that that was a a huge step that wasn't taken lightly um, we we took that step because. The epidemiological advice was very clear that if we didn't and we we didn't take steps of that nature, then we would um, see this virus get out of control, that it would overwhelm the NHS, that we we would just simply not be able to have enough uh, intensive care units and ventilators. Uh, and then we would have had uh, a huge number of uh, excess deaths you know, beyond that which we're already seeing. So we took this rather dramatic step to get this virus under control. And I think it is right um, to say that the, 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 the conditions that we need uh, to have satisfied before we come out are really those driven by uh, the scientific advice. So we need to see um, that our NHS is coping and has capacity, that the trajectory is downwards in terms of both uh, the number of deaths we're seeing and the number of new infections, that's sort of um, what's called the, the R rate, the, the infection rate. We need that to be going down before we can start to loosen some of that um, social, some of those social distancing measures we've had to put in place. So <clears throat> it wasn't taken lightly. We know it's very difficult for many parts of the economy. Uh, we won't have it in place for a moment longer than is necessary. And as soon as uh, we believe we're in a position to start easing those restrictions and things will be reviewed again uh, a week on Friday, uh, at that point, we will obviously be able to uh, make decisions about what kind okay. of um, uh, easements there could be uh, to exit this lockdown, which none of us want to see last longer than necessary. Well, the government has announced you know, five criteria for deciding whether or not we are safe to exit the lockdown. And the fifth one was changed yesterday. Previously, it was that the, the government was confident that any adjustments to the current measures will not risk a second peak of infections. That was changed yesterday in the announcement in the, uh, in the press conference to confident that any adjustments to the current measures will not risk a second peak of infections that overwhelms the NHS. Is that an acceptance that uh, not only that there will be a second peak, as we see in, in most pandemics, but the key issue there is that it's been loosened. So therefore, if you think the NHS can cope, we've got such excess capacity now in the NHS Nightingales and the like, that actually we would be able to cope with the second peak. And therefore, it, we will be able to come out of lockdown sooner rather than later. Well, I'm told on this that when Dominic Raab initially announced these, uh, these so-called five tests, uh, there was um, there was a the, the original reference said that we wanted to avoid a second peak that would overwhelm our NHS. My understanding is that at some point in a presentation last week, um, uh, probably somebody trying to shorten the length of those five tests, as is often the case, um, some of the language was shortened. Um, they gave it a different meaning and it was then just reverted back to the original yesterday. So I think it's um, okay. consistent with what was announced initially, but it is the case that uh, there was a presentation or a slide uh, during the course 
course of last week that I think had different language. Okay, I just find it um, on uh, the issue of masks. Nicola Sturgeon, of course, said that uh, yesterday as First Minister of Scotland that she wants people to be wearing masks if they're in public transport or going to the supermarket and other shops. Um, We're told there is no clear evidence and the evidence certainly is weak that masks do uh, save lives in these scenarios. But um, uh, given there doesn't seem to be very strong evidence that they, uh, they can risk lives, would it not be sensible for the UK government to follow suit? Um, I think the point I'd make is that Public Health England, who advise us on this, uh, have generally been very um, sceptical about the value of masks. They they don't give uh, really any protection to the wearer of the mask. There is some evidence that they may give some um, protection in terms of, of the onward transmission if someone has the virus. But they think the value of them is uh, is actually very limited. If there were to be a value at all, it might be in very enclosed spaces where social distancing is not possible. But I think you always have to bear in mind here that if you change the guidance on masks simply to send a signal, as it were, without really having it make much difference, uh, all you do is have lots of other businesses and lots of other people in the market trying to get hold of PPE that our NHS and care homes are also trying to get Hold off. So it's very important in these sorts of situations that we don't send signals out that uh, that make it harder to get the PPE for those that okay. really do need it. All right. And I said finally, but I lied because I just remembered I want to ask you about given your, your job as Environment Secretary, George Eustace, just finally, really, uh, the fruit pickers uh, that we've been told, fruit and veg pickers, a massive shortage of uh, migrant workers, although we have seen uh, Romanians being flown in without even any checks on their coronavirus status uh, to work on farms. Uh, we're told, you know, Brits should apply for these jobs. But I'm told by many that British people have applied in their droves already, all those furloughed workers wanting to be out and about, wanting to earn some more money. Uh, and yet they're, they're not being accepted because British farmers want to have foreign migrants uh, doing the work, not Brits. I, I think that's a bit unfair. I, I do. I used to work in the, um, the the farming industry and the strawberry sector in particular, so I understand this. The, the reality is that the peak of the harvest is at the last week of May and during the month of June. So that's when it gets really busy where they lead large numbers of people. Um, I was talking just last week to the G's Salads Group, the biggest uh, lettuce and celery producer in the country. Uh, They've just got 100 British workers that have started work on the farm. Uh, They estimate that probably two thirds of their staff this year uh, will probably be British. But it is the case that uh, most farms don't have work until really the last week of May and the month of June. So I would uh, encourage any of your listeners who might be furloughed, um, might be uh, at home feeling a bit bored, might want to play their part uh, to consider uh, if they've got farms in their area, approaching them uh, when we get to the month of June and lending a hand to try to get this year's harvest in. Across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker, Talk Radio. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker, Talk Radio. Right now, let's welcome our first guest of the morning, well, of the, of the hour, Professor Carol Sikora, who's former chief of the Cancer Programme at the World Health Organisation, is now Dean of Medicine at the University of Buckingham. Good morning to you. Good morning, Julia. Always a pleasure to speak to you, sir. Let, let's talk about the testing. Uh, testing capacity, they're, they're trying to get to this 100,000 target. A, a simple question, does it matter whether we reach that target tomorrow or not? No, uh, but it would be nice if we could. Uh, there's been really a huge effort to get this done. The army's been involved, volunteers have been involved. It's really moved forward, and it, it should have been done a month ago in reality. Germany did it at the beginning. Austria did it at the beginning. We've been a bit slow with it. Very confusing for everybody because there are two types of tests. The virus test, which is the one that's being done with a a nose swab or a throat swab, tells you that the virus is in that patient that day. If they come back the next day, it may, if if clear one day, but they come back the next day, they may well be positive the second day. So you have to keep doing it in people and probably every week for healthcare staff. So it's going to be quite a logistic thing to do. The second test that you talked about is the antibody test, which proves you have immunity. And as we've heard, there are problems. At the moment, less than 10% of the population seem to have antibodies. But we think the virus is more widespread than just 10% of the population. If that's the case, and often causes no symptoms when you get it. I like to think I've been infected in the past, had minimal symptoms, and now my antibodies are high. But I tested myself and they're not. We've tested our workforce and it's just about 8% of them are positive. So we've got a lot to learn. Uh, But at the moment, the information is really useful, as we've heard, to know where the virus is, how it's spreading in a care home. Is it there? How many are infected? And later on, how the immune system deals with it. And it will help guide lockdown. 
Absolutely. And again, we, we're just waiting. I mean, I know you uh, you were on Twitter a week or so ago. You'd actually managed to get hold of some antibody tests you thought would be reliable. But again, we're still waiting for, for a test that can be, you know, absolutely foolproof, as close as a, those sort of tests can be. Um, lots of information came out yesterday from the Office for National Statistics on top of those are the weekly figures always published at 9.30 on a Tuesday, um, looking at all deaths uh, across the board and care home deaths in particular, not just those hospital deaths that we're seeing in the daily death toll we get in mid afternoon every day of, of hospital deaths recorded um, uh, uh, from coronavirus. And, and they made for some scary reading. Very complicated reading, I think, for most of us in terms of how many extra deaths there were. But it does appear that there are an awful lot more deaths that are not being accounted for by coronavirus, um, both in care homes and generally in the public. Much higher death toll than, than we are seeing um, in, in any you know any comparable year, I think I think 1970 with the end of a, a major flu, I think Hong Kong flu epidemic, that was the last time we had sort of comparable death figures for this time of well that that was actually in the middle of winter. I mean for April, nothing like it. Um, yeah. How how high do you suspect the deaths from coronavirus, which haven't actually been attributed to coronavirus because there wasn't testing, uh, actually are? And we won't really know to the end of the year till all the data's in. One of the problems looking at the statistics, I'm glued to the uh, two o'clock ones that come out from the government, although they often don't come out till about 3.30 now, because that's probably the best index. I know it's hospital only. Now the care homes have been added. One of the problems is that as we've gone through the pandemic, the way in which the deaths are collected varies. And there's also this day-to-day variation there's a lag at weekends of collecting the data, probably because there are less staff around to register it all. Uh, and on Monday, often there's a high level of death, but that's just collecting things. Then you get batching where people that actually died some weeks ago are added to the current death. So it's very difficult. But if you look at the smooth death curve, it is going down very dramatically. And that is really good news. Well, I don't know to answer your question until the end. I remember as a medical student, the 1970 pandemic, it was, it was horrendous. I remember the flu pandemic then and people on ventilators all down the ward. And yet we didn't have all this. No lockdown. I just drove my little Fort Anglia to the hospital in the morning and everything was fine. Uh, I, this is different in some way. Yeah, indeed. I mean, we know. I mean, the level of deaths is. I mean, again, the fact that it's in April, not in winter. We know this uh, the time of year has a massive impact. Um, do you think that care homes have been forgotten, have been neglected? That's one of the accusations being made to the government. I mean, I've certainly taken uh, Health Secretary Matt Hancock to task a number of times on the show about the lack of testing in care homes. He said yesterday that people in care homes have been able to get testing for for since the beginning. I mean, I know we've tried to be very supportive of everything that can be done, but I know that's not true because I know in my own aunt's case they were unable to get testing, despite even us helping to push for them to get testing when there was suspected outbreak there. Um, have they been forgotten? I think they have a bit. Um, care homes, uh, I again have relatives, and my wife has relatives in care homes, and you know, they're an efficient part of the healthcare process. They're really part of this borderline between society in which we all live freely looking after ourselves and a hospital where you go in there for medical purposes. A care home's sort of halfway between and they should really be part of some greater health supervisory service and I think maybe they will be now and I think it's really welcoming to see that they're planning to test immediately in care homes because they're sort of little epicenters where you can get infection. If you know a care home is free from COVID, that's great. 
if it has infection, you have to deal with that. And maybe the 50 or 60 residents in the average care home really have to be advised what's best for them to do. And not necessarily lock them up in rooms and give food under the under the door or something. There are other Which ways could be just as with. devastating for people who are isolated as it is. You know, they're isolated from their families. Um, and are you concerned, obviously, as a cancer specialist, I mean, we talked about this a number of times on the show, uh, that uh, the latest figures suggesting there will be 20,000 more deaths from cancer than there would otherwise have been because of the emphasis on coronavirus. We know that NHS hospitals have been told, you know, get back to normal normal work, make sure that people are being treated. And certainly, you know, if you've got a lump, uh, you know, you're worried about anything, you sh- you're bleeding from somewhere you shouldn't be, you should be con- contacting your GP, but are you concerned that we are actually going to lose a lot of people uh, unnecessarily because of the coronavirus? Absolutely. NHS England issued a press release last night about getting people back. You know, when you see the message, stay home, protect the NHS, save lives all the time, repeated on the radio, on the railway stations and so on, it worries people. They feel, well, I have to protect the NHS. I can't possibly trouble the doctor. Don't think like that. If you have symptoms that could be cancer, phone up the GP, make an appointment. A telephone appointment's fine. You need to be part of the system. The diagnostic system is opening up now. It's true that there's still problems downstream with getting surgery for cancer, but that's also going to open up. A lot of effort is going there. And the number of deaths will depend from cancer from this whole thing, will depend critically on how long it goes on for. If it's only another week or two, it won't be too bad. But if it went on six months, it would be a disaster for many people. Yes, indeed. And let's talk about exiting the lockdown. First of all, do you think that we will be told to wear masks uh, when we're in uh, public places in close quarters with people? And uh, what are your fears about uh, uh, the the exit strategy, given we see, you know, France is uh, is planning to come out of lockdown 11th of May, Spain, the end of June. Germany came out, well, relaxed some aspects of the lockdown just a week ago, and they've already had to reintroduce some of them because infections went straight back up again. Yes, it's very confusing. And I think the the key to releasing lockdown is to monitor what happens. Austria has been okay at the moment. And uh, Austria came up 14 days ago, the 14th of uh, just after Easter. And it's doing relatively well in terms of new infection. The deaths are right down. Uh, You know, we just have to monitor everything. The mask issue, I really don't know. know, I'm not a public health doctor. There is no clinical trial data. There's no evidence base. It seems sensible. I mean, the rule it can't hurt. Is, <laughs> well, it, it doesn't make you look beautiful particularly, but uh, there's no doubt that, you know, we get patients to wear masks to protect themselves, and uh, we're not in a high COVID risk area in cancer treatment. But, you know, it, it really is a matter of very difficult to make rules. And I saw a photo this morning of Mike Pence, the American politician, not wearing a mask in a yeah. hospital where everyone else was wearing it. So what right is he to break the rules? The rules have to be made and we all have to abide with them. That's would strike me as the best way forward. Online, on DAB and on the Talk Radio app. Talk Radio. Delighted to welcome to the show uh, the uh, Shadow Health Secretary, Labour MP, John Ashworth. Good morning to you. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. I must ask you about the testing availability now. Uh, Obviously, we know that the Health Secretary promised this 100,000 tests a day target tomorrow. Testing uh, now available to some 25 million uh, Brits, well, well, people in England, actually, in terms of care home residents and over 65s, people who have to go out to work. Um, Do you think the, uh, the Health Secretary is now going to reach that target? And does it matter if he does or he doesn't? Well, we hope he reaches that target because we've long been calling for testing to be scaled up, get 
testing and what's called contact tracing, which is where you get in touch with everybody who's been in contact with someone with the virus, is absolutely vital to containing the spread of the virus. That the countries who have been successful, um, South Korea and Germany, that is what they are doing. So we've been calling for this for some time. So we hope he meets his target. But we do need to get this testing into care homes and nursing homes for staff and residents because the numbers of deaths in care homes is absolutely devastating. And do you think that uh, care homes have been left behind? A lot of allegations, lots of claims that they have been forgotten. And then they've. Uh, and we did. We spoke to the uh, chief executive of Care uh, Care England, Professor Martin Green, who who said that yeah, that they, we, they should have been prioritised from word go. I, I think that's right. Uh, if I, I look at it like this, I mean, the, the NHS with setting up Nightingale hospitals, clearing beds, getting ventilators, getting retired staff to come back. The NHS managers have done a, uh, you know, have done a good job and, in, in a short space of time. But I don't think we've had the same level of um, direction, of preparation uh, from the top, from, from, from government on the social care sector. Uh, and we know now that the social care sector, our nursing homes or the people who go into people's own homes to help them, this really is the front line now in this uh, battle with this virus. And uh, the rising death toll is an absolute tragedy, absolutely devastating. Over 5,000 deaths, we think, in care homes. And of course, there's a time lag in those deaths. There's probably going to be more deaths in care homes. This is yeah. this is all our grandmas and granddads and aunties and uncles. And we've really got to get in place some proper protections in our, in our social care sector now. Oh, look, this is something that I've, I've been speaking to the health secretary and other ministers about for for a number of months. Because I'm, I'm like you know, like many people, have a have a relative in a care home and therefore known what's happened on the ground. However, it's much easier to direct a few hundred hospitals, isn't it, when they are centrally controlled by uh, you know NHS England, uh, as opposed to controlling uh, what is it, some twenty thousand different care homes, largely privately owned with four hundred thousand residents. It's a very different matter, isn't it? It is. It, 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 I mean, it, it is difficult, but we've, but we really think that given that there's so much going on in the social care, uh, so, so many issues in the social care sector where they need, these people desperately need protection, that we really need to gather proper plans. So we've got to get uh, uh, testing rolled out. We've got to get the PPE to the front line. These really are vital. This really is vital. Now. Well, indeed. I mean, the PPE is an ongoing issue, isn't it? Uh, and there's been some claims that actually the government, when they've claimed we've got you know, a billion, we've distributed a billion items of PPE, that includes things like, you know, one one glove counts as one item, another glove counts as a second item, and perhaps not being uh, quite as open with us uh, uh, about uh, what those items actually include. Do you think that the government is now on top of the issue of PPE and that, we, you know, and that they like like other governments around the world are facing that worldwide shortage, a failure of uh, you know uh, packages coming from China, or they're or they're actually you know not usable. They're not they're not actually safe to use, uh, and that they are now on top of it. And we're not going to be seeing anyone dying working on the front line of the NHS because they haven't got protective equipment. Are you confident of that now? Um, uh, well, well, that, we need to have the details from government. Ministers keep saying that they're getting more PPE to the front line, but we're still we still have a mismatch about with what actually goes on or what we hear from the front line. And we know that our, our care staff desperately need this PPE. So we'll keep asking ministers to to give us the details, and we hope that ministers can reassure us that that PPE is getting to the front line.
And in terms of the exit strategy, we are seeing countries uh, uh, you know, around the world, New Zealand, Australia, coming out of, of their lockdowns. France say they're going to come out on the 11th of May, but with face masks. We'll talk about that in a moment. Uh, Spain, the end of June, they're looking at. Uh, Germany, though, are just a week after releasing uh, some aspects of the lockdown. They're already having to reintroduce them after infections rose. This is going to be the big risk, isn't it, coming out of lockdown too early. Um, your, your party constantly calling for the exit strategy to be published. Is it possible? for us to know what the exit strategy is before we can learn the lessons from other countries? Well, I think people just need more details so we can plan their lives and understand where we're going next. So I would say a big part of what needs to happen next is testing and tracing. But we also need to know if our schools, our schools, when our schools like this go back or what are we going to do to support businesses? Can businesses open? We understand that we have to be in this lockdown for some time and we've all got to make sacrifices. But I think other countries around the world are giving their citizens more details. And I think it's not unreasonable to ask for our government to give our citizens more details. Okay, it would appear from the press conference last night at number 10 that the government has uh, quietly relaxed one of their five rules for easing the lockdown. Uh, the uh, fifth rule, uh, having confidence that there would be no risk of a second peak of the virus, it was, now, it was changed now to avoiding a second peak that overwhelms the NHS. That's quite a relaxation because we know the NHS hasn't been overwhelmed. We know, you know all these Nightingale hospitals lying empty, thankfully. Lots of ventilators and staff still available to do the work. So um, do you think that makes it more likely that we will see an exit from the lockdown sooner rather than later? Well, it was interesting that they seem to have changed their criteria. Uh, we need to understand why they've done that and, and what is going on there. So that is something that we'll be asking ministers about and we hope they can, they can give us a, a convincing explanation. OK, and just finally, masks. Nicola Sturgeon, the First Minister of Scotland, uh, announced yesterday that uh, she would be advising that people wear masks in uh, public places such as shops uh, and uh, on public transport. Do you think it's only a matter of days before the uh, British government, uh, the UK government as a whole, advises that we all wear masks out in public? Well, again, there's increasing um, um, amounts of evidence which suggest that masks are uh, a vital tool in, in fighting this virus. Uh, we have not had... Uh, uh, the, the same um, 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 suggestions or advice from the UK government as we've had in, from the Scottish government. But I think it's probably heading that way. But one of the things we've been asking government is, if, well, if you want to start wearing masks, have you got it? Because we've, we've seen that there isn't, or how you, how you stockpiling the masks, will people be able to access masks? And the government needs to, if they're going to tell us to wear masks, need to make sure they've got a plan in place for everybody, everybody to be able to get a mask. Online on DAB and on the Talk Radio app. Talk Radio. Thanks for listening to today's Julia Hartley Brewer Coronavirus Update. Please don't forget to like, comment and most importantly, subscribe. And you can catch me live on the Talk Radio Breakfast Show every weekday from 6.30 till 10. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.